Welcome to On the Edge with Liza Pullman. On the Edge explores the frontier of human potential. What really is possible? Experts in medicine, business, science, and belief systems divulge methods and pathways to productivity, profitability, well-being, freedom, and happiness. Now, here's your host, Liza Pullman. Welcome. Today on The Edge, I am excited to be with Kianga Ford. Kianga Ford is a certified orgasmic meditation trainer and desire-based life coach. She is the founder of Infinite Man Coaching, where she works with men to live their fullest lives by accessing their emotional depths, passion, power, and unwavering commitment to purpose. Her vision is of a divine masculine and a divine feminine that are each vibrant and empowered and which come together in ecstatic and delightful union and play with one another. As one powerful man after another is caught in this shift in our society as we have known it, this conversation today is an evolving dialogue about men and women. It is not a simple conversation. Is that true, Kianga? I think that's absolutely true. It's it's not a simple conversation, and it's also, believe it or not, not a problem. It's actually showing us some things that have been in our system for a long time, and it's showing us that those things are heating up because we're in the middle of a shift. And I want to start this by con- conversation by saying and being completely transparent that this is a conversation between two women about men and women. And I want to start from that point because I imagine that there are some, maybe many men listening to this conversation who are wondering what two women, women, sorry, let alone you know about them. Yeah. I think that that's a fair place to start. Um, One of the things that I see in men is a really profound understanding of what's going on for women in our experience. You know, in some of these recent, I'll call them disgrace scandals, you hear men saying again and again, I didn't understand that this wasn't consensual. I didn't understand the damage that I was doing. And I think if we hear those refrains repeat so often, it's important for us to hear them. It's important for us to understand the very profound ways that men are not understanding their own desires and they're not understanding our responses to them. So I actually think it's really imperative that women jump into a conversation with men about things like what is desire? What is it to hold desire? What is it to communicate with each other? You know, and after I I had a conversation with my brother this last weekend after the most recent incident, which was Matt Lauer, and he said there was a palpable buzz in his office for two solid days before the weekend. And the buzz was, what are we supposed to do? Like people had no idea what the starting point was. And I think the starting point is the conversation, the conversation about this, which is what we're doing today. And it's not a new issue, but it's coming back around once again. And I think it's coming back around because it really needs to heal. Well, I think that there's a place where it is a new issue and it's not a new issue in the sense that these things didn't develop overnight, right? So you have somebody like Charlie Rose. At the beginning of his career, this was totally normative behavior. If it wasn't normative behavior, it wasn't normative because there weren't women in those workplaces, Mm. right? And so 
it, it is something that has existed, but it's something who, whose time has come for a shift because of a real rise in feminine power, because we're coming to a moment where we're not just saying, hey, as women, we want access to masculine systems and masculine schema. We're saying, hey, we actually want to redefine the rules of the game. We want to play a new game with a new diversity of, of culture. What's interesting, though, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on history because I don't think it's completely productive, but women have been fighting in this space for a long time. But as you said, there's there is something new about the fight now. Women have been fighting for access. right? I think we've been fighting for things to, to get things from men. And I think we're entering in an era where we really have to do things with men. And I think that's very, very different. I think we've been trying to enter existing games that have been really prescribed by masculine sets of values. Right. And often the most toxic versions of those sets of values. And so now we're, we're actually entering an era where we're saying we don't just want to participate in the game. We want to redefine the game. One of the challenges is, is that, you know, kind of taking a, a lesson from Mandela, anytime that you're shifting sort of that systems of value, you can't just throw out the people who had previously been kind of in power, right? So it actually won't serve us to just discard the masculine as we come up with or try to insert a set of feminine values to really define the structures that we're living in. We actually have to bring both of them along. And I well, think it- that's the thing. This concept of also defining like masculine and feminine values in and of itself, the names are somewhat misleading because everyone possesses both of those values. It is true that we all possess what I would describe as masculine and feminine characteristics, qualities, um, values, but mainstream culture has been defined by the by the masculine in ways that have been invisible and unmarked so when we thought what we wanted was participation as women was participation in the workplace we were without naming it entering into a system of masculine values and i think this is the first time that we're really giving that some name and in giving that some name we also allow the possibility for other perspectives to come in so how would you describe those invisible values, masculine values that everyone has kind of taken on in order to survive in the last whatever it was, several cent- centuries? Sure. I think when we look at masculine and feminine values, some of the ones that we see especially come up in the workplace are the masculine value of structure, the masculine value of single focus, the masculine value of results, right? Where when we're looking at the feminine structure, it's, it's kind of complement is formlessness, single focus, it's complement is diffuse awareness, attention on many things at the same time. Um, when we look at the complement of something that's results driven, we look at something that's connection driven. And I think we're starting to see these things come up really concretely in places like corporate social responsibility, um, in things like social impact business. It isn't actually the case that only masculine values drive success, but it is the case that we have been by default defining success as masculine for some time. So what is the shift that you think is really happening right here, right now? Hmm. I think it's a shift to actually introducing feminine values into the mainstream culture and saying there's more than one way to think. There's more than one way to direct experience. There's more than one set of values. You know, we've learned a lot in the last, what, 50 years, 50 plus years now since the civil rights movement about what 
what diversity really brings in terms of value. And I think we're now starting to understand that having these different perspectives on this range of, of masculine feminine complementarity is also important. And it's interesting that uh, there's a show taking place um, that precedes this one about the binary construction of our world, that the way that we interpret things is always in two ways. You know, so in this case, we're talking about masculine versus feminine, you know, in gender, it's homosexual versus heterosexual, you know, in politics, it's Republican versus Democrat, when the reality is that this may not be just a call to the feminine, but a, a broader call of seeing things beyond a very limited, um, you know, through a limited lens, which has been a very masculine lens. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about what's binaristic. I tend to think about the relationship between the masculine and feminine as the, the kind of complementary parts of a whole. So it doesn't really matter so much the, the two-ness as the kind of circleness or the completeness of having both of them in place. So rather than kind of nodes of opposition or confrontation, like what I might think about when I think about Republican versus Democrat, it isn't actually a versus. It's actually getting us to a place of a wholeness of being you know i think about it a little bit like wings we've we've been a kind of one-winged bird um as a species where we've really been focused on our right wing we've really been focused on these masculine principles and values and as we come into a period where we're more aware of also feminine values it's not going to work either for us to just become a left-winged bird right where we actually get into balance is where we can use and understand both wings and understand dynamically what each offers and how they function together. That is a beautiful, beautiful metaphor for the need to balance really who we are and who we are as a society. And I know that as we get farther into the show, we're going to go deeper into um, what that means, not only what it means, but also how how one can indulge in those sides of themselves and be more aware of those sides of themselves and achieve their own internal balance. But let's, let's talk a little bit more about the root causes of where we are now, the micro root causes. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting one. I think that there there is a lot of lack of understanding on both sides of what the most healthy versions of these components of our being are, what they look like. Um, you know, if I, if I look at the masculine, well, let me, let me back up first and, and talk about kind of the, the healthy, there's a, there's a healthy range Right. For for both of these things, there is a kind of normative range for them. And then there's the kind of devolved or toxic range, right, where you have these same qualities, but they are um, kind of in, in their most toxic form, right, in their in their least contributive forms. And I think in the last in the last era, we've really gotten ourselves into kind of the the toxic mimics, right, where we're thinking about masculinity, for instance, in very limited range. And so you have you have the man who is, you know, kind of if we look at like the old standard of of provide and protect, right, he becomes a producer, both for his company and his family. You know, mm-hmm. that man doesn't have any feelings. That man doesn't have any desire. That man doesn't have any expression. That man is a pressure cooker. <laughs> That's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. And so I think that one of the things is really coming back in and, and understanding really fundamentally what are these things in their healthy version? How do we get to them? Every element of ourselves has a healthy version of expression. Desire has a healthy version of expression, 
You know, when we ask what do we do in relationship to the sexual harassment scandals, I think a lot of people think, okay, desire has no place. It has no place in the public sphere. And I would actually argue the opposite, that it is actually getting more in touch with our desire, being able to express it, being in touch with what it is, being able to communicate it to others, and having that received by someone who's also willing willing and able to say, oh, I desire that mutually or I don't desire that mutually. And desire in and of itself as a word has different connotations in this culture. It does. And I use desire really from a a, a kind of pure place of understanding what is the thing that I'm wanting? What is the thing that I'm pursuing? When we get these kind of toxic desires, it's because they don't get expressed, right? And so they leak out sideways, as in the case of your Matt Lowers and your Charlie Roses. Um, they end up leaking out sideways as abuses of power because they don't have any place for direct expression as just desire. That is beautifully stated. And on that note, we need to take a short break. I've been speaking with orgasmic meditation expert and founder at Infinite Man Coaching, Kianga Ford, about her timely and important work with men. We will be back in a few minutes. You're listening to On the Edge with Liza Pullman on TalkZone.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to On the Edge with Liza Pullman. I am speaking with Kianga Ford about her powerful work with men, awakening emotional depth, passion, and purpose. Kianga, when we left off, we were talking about big examples, you know, and we've used Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer, but to be honest, there are many people who haven't been called to task on this. And, you know, the calling to task is a whole separate, you know, I, that's another pathway that's not the subject of this show. But the conversation was that in our, in our culture, the, the model that men have followed is this provide, protect, produce model in both their work and families. And that that has actually ended up, ended up being somewhat of a pressure cooker for them because their true desires and their needs for connection are not met. And that goes sideways into abuse, abuse of power. Let's go a little deeper into this from both the masculine and the feminine side. Yeah, well, one of the things that's going on right now is that we are in the first historical epoch where women are not entirely dependent on men for this provision. So it's no longer an effective point of connection between us, mm. right? That's, that's one of the things that is actually literally and practically changing. And so what we have left are things like desire. Where's our desire to connect, to communicate? What we have left are things like purpose. Purpose is really a cornerstone of what I teach because it allows, it allows men to sort through what are the elements that are really meaningful to them. It's not production just for production's sake. Right? And, and that's tough. It's tough because the system is pretty entrenched in that way. And it's tied into the economics of our lives. So it's very challenging for most men. When I've had this conversation with men, you know, they're like, I have to, you know, I have to go to work. I have a job to do. Like I have a family to provide for. I have bills to pay. Who's going to do these things? It's a common response that squeezes out the concept of desire and purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there isn't a lot about the modern system that has been created to highlight passion and purpose. But I think in in our transition, right, as we see other things really start to come down with this scaffolding, these are some of the things that are going to allow us to get to the next stage, right? It's It's no longer going to be enough 
to kind of be the company man that can produce, that can show up at the job. You actually need to dig a little more into what is my purpose? What am I contributing here? And then that really allows you to to have a kind of touchstone to think about what else is important. Well, and I would even go so far as to say in terms of contribution that that also for men has been very heavily dictated by our society. You know, contribution is coaching your kid's softball team or contribution is, you know, making donations to your church or, um, you know, working in a soup kitchen over the holidays. And that's not to take away from that. I, I am by no means minimizing the significance of those means of contribution. There's more to contribution, I believe, than that, though, for men. Oh, Absolutely. And I think it's, it's just a, a kind of definition of contribution that is limited. Um, and that increasingly we have the freedom to think more in our lives about what am I contributing with my life? When I think about contribution, I think more about legacy or more about the, the kind of larger, um, idea of service. You can make a contribution through just your parenting. You can make a contribution through the company you create. You can make a contribution through the relationships that you have. Um, and that's that's where we come back to purpose. What is my purpose in, in this lifetime? So what does it look like if one is operating from an empowered masculinity? So how I how I see that manifesting is in, you know, if you really begin... When I work with men, one of the things that I'm really encouraging them to drop into is what's what's the contribution that you want to make? And when you have a sense of what's the contribution that you want to make, then you also have a, a, a sense of what place does family have in that? What place does partnership have in that? What place does my profession have in that? But it begins from a real clarity about what am I actually trying to contribute? What are the things that I could leave behind that matter? I do. I hear a strong sense of legacy when you speak. And I think that that, that is one of the, the most beautiful components of the masculine is this desire to leave something behind. Right. And so I think when we, when we tap into, you know, I was talking about those three registers, um, of the masculine and the feminine, where you have the kind of toxic or devolved and you have the kind of normative, and then you have the exalted, right? The one that is really moving toward fullest self-realization. And I think when we get the exalted masculine, it is deeply aligned with legacy and contribution. Another fabulous word, exalted. It has a very intense, it has an intensity to it and also a highly elevated lightness to it. Absolutely. And so where, where we are is not actually so far off from our capacity to see where we can go, from our capacity to see how do you get to that exaltation, right? If we, if we had men who were able, let's focus on desire for a minute. If we had men who were really able to hone into, to own, to express their desires and the power in those desires, the shadow element of assault, of coercion, of force, that really all disappears with mm-hmm. the level of clarity. Um, because they can speak it forth, they can communicate it. It's enrolling to to actually be engaged with a man who is very clear about what he wants and will communicate that clearly. <clears throat> if you're doing that, you, you don't end up locking the door behind someone, you know, and, and trapping them in a room. <clears throat> they don't end up waking up unsure of what happened. There's a level of transparency and presence <clears throat> that really changes the dynamic. You know, we live in a culture where the emphasis is on the intellect, on the mental. 
and I'm curious what needs to shift. What physically, emotionally, mentally needs to shift for exaltation to take place? Well, that, that might be a little counterintuitive. One of the things is that we have to get back into our bodies. We are actually not a bunch of heads walking around. <laughs> we are, we are embodied beings with sensation, with urge, with desires for connection, the desire for physical connection, the desire for energetic connection, the desire for spiritual communion. And it really is about reintegrating that system so that we're not just walking around thinking about the life of the mind. So I hear a stronger connection to the body. I think an integrated connection to the body, an integrated connection to the body and and to the spirit. And you would know. you also say emotions? Or is that Absolutely. connected? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For me, when I think about the spirit, emotion is connected. So like all relationships, it takes two. You know, both the women, the females and the males in this world, um, and I say those terms uh, with an emphasis on fluidity, take part in how we interact with each other. And... I can say, you know, as a as a as a woman that because of the generation I grew up in, that I've had to step more into my masculine self to survive um, until this part of my life when I have done a tremendous amount of personal development and become more aware of how my masculine and feminine interact. But there's a role that women play in this as well. And I was hoping you would speak to that. Absolutely. I want to back up a little bit and, and kind of talk about how the masculine and feminine relate within us and to talk a little bit about what I call position and disposition. Beautiful. So we are all made up of masculine components and feminine components. So there isn't a one of us walking around that doesn't have both of those systems at work within us. We can tend toward more of one or more of the other. It's a little bit like thinking about right-brained or left-brained thinking or introspection or, or sort of introversion and extroversion, right? We, we all have some of the complementary tendency within us, but we fall more on one side of the spectrum than on the other. When I think about position and disposition, disposition is just kind of well, who am I and where do I fall on that spectrum? Do I feel that I'm sort of 70% inclined toward my feminine and 30% toward my masculine? This is me without any external conditions or circumstances, right? This is just kind of how my being is wired. Now, when I think about position, it's us responding to what's required in, in different circumstances, And the workplace, for instance, has been predominantly masculine, which means regardless of what my disposition is, I go into a position as director of a company, as CEO, where what's being called for are my masculine tendencies. And so that might mean that that's actually what I developed, so much so that it overrides what I would call my disposition, right? And so we're constantly playing back and forth between what's our what's our natural inclination and what are the circumstances calling for. And we can play in that circumstantial arena for so long that we don't really have much of a sense of where would we be if we weren't adapting. Love that. That's a good question. And to add on to that, you know, not only where would we be if we weren't adapting, you know, looking at that question from where we are in this moment, where or who would I be if I weren't adapting? 
And I think that that is really, you, you asked the question about, well, how, how do we do this together? Because that's what I, I heard from the yep. question. Right. How do we do this together now? And, you know, I'm, I'm also in that generation where I've really strongly developed my masculine skill set. It, it actually took a good bit of, of letting go of position to feel into what for me is a very strong feminine disposition that I had to really make space for as an adult woman. One of the things that happens is one of the things that has happened is that we've all kind of rushed toward the center, right? As women in the workplace, the the values and standards of success have been defined by the masculine. And so we've all moved more toward our masculine. We've all developed very strong masculine competencies, very strong ability to speak in that language and to work in that way to drive toward results, for instance, and we've also asked kind of in the, the post-second wave feminist era for men to become more feminine, right, for them to become more aware, for them to become more sensitive in, in certain ways. And so the, the last kind of um, wave of culture has had everyone move a little bit more toward the middle, a little bit away from the end. So now here we are kind of gathered in the middle. So what happens when you have a game where everybody is playing the same position? Let's imagine a baseball game where everybody's the shortstop. (laughs) Nothing is really happening. You, You don't really have a game, right? So one of the things, one of the ways that we actually support each other is to move into our positions, to give a little more space. It isn't for me to look at a man and make demands of his masculine, but if I move into my feminine, I make space for him to show up and compliment that, right? And so it is this this kind of complex um dance that we get to do with each other where we become aware of how are we playing our positions and dispositions and how are they affecting our abilities to communicate and to relate and really to play and to get to a to get to a location where that play is joyful and generative mm. joyful and generative on that note we need to take another short break I've been speaking with Kianga Ford, the founder of Infinite Man Coaching, about her timely and important work with men. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to On the Edge. Here's Liza Pullman. Welcome back to On the Edge. I'm speaking with Kianga Ford about her powerful work with men, awakening emotional depth, passion, and purpose. Kianga, we have tried to cover a very complex topic in a very short amount of time. Where, where can we start right now? I think that's a great question. I think a lot of the stuff that we've been trying to talk about is pretty heady. You know, we're covering a few centuries of human history in terms of thinking about the change, in terms of thinking about the acceleration of change, um, in terms of thinking about how this moment is bringing to a head some of our most toxic behaviors around the masculine and feminine. And I think that that Kind of that, that heady perspective is a hard place to act from. And so I like to help people bring it back into their own lives, to bring it back into something that they can practice, to really kind of dial it back. One of the practices that I teach very centrally that brings this kind of awareness is a practice called orgasmic meditation. An orgasmic meditation involves a stroker, often a man, but it doesn't have to be, stroking a woman's clitoris in a particular location for 15 minutes. Um, and I know it seems crazy, 
But I've never seen a more profound way to train both attention and relationship, to have a man notice both himself and his partner in real time. So I'm I'm guessing that we're not prepared to do that on the radio today. (laughs) (laughs) But there are other ways people can do that, and we can give them that information at the end. I want to add that the people I know who have practiced this methodology both men and women, it is transformative. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think is so transformative about it is the way that it teaches us to pay attention. And so today I have brought some some simpler exercises that are similarly structured around just making time to pay attention. Love it. Love it. Do you want to dive into that now? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. What I will ask of you listeners is that you clear your spaces of things that are demanding your attention. If you happen to be sharing a space with someone, this is a wonderful thing to do with someone else. And if not, it's a totally useful thing to do on your own. So I'm going to take you through three stages of what I call noticing. In the first stage, I'm going to have you notice something physical. Okay, I'm going to have you notice something very specific that's physical. So if you are with a partner, you want to just sit facing them, ideally with both feet planted on the floor. You're going to look at your partner's left eyebrow, and you're going to give three value-neutral descriptions of what you see. When I say value neutral, what I mean is it's not going to be a beautiful eyebrow or it's not going to be a lovely arch. You're really just going to describe what you see with no judgment at all. So maybe you see hairs that are thicker toward the bridge of the nose and that become less thick toward the outer edge of the eye. So you're going to do three of those with your partner and then switch If you are there by yourself, you're actually going to do the same exercise with your right wrist. Even though you're talking to yourself, it's important that it's also value neutral. So you might give a description like, I notice a crease. I notice a deep crease in the skin that goes across the bony ridge of the wrist. I notice that the color has variations as it goes across the bone of my wrist. You're looking for just really close detail. Give you just a couple of seconds for that. And so what you're doing when you're in this exercise is kind of allowing yourself to notice Allowing yourself to drop in, I mean, even as I'm doing that on the radio, my attention is incredibly focused. I feel much differently than when I was talking a few minutes ago about some of these larger ideas. So you're just focusing on what you notice in physical detail. It's really going to narrow your world for a moment. So I want to bring us to the next level of noticing, which is noticing a bodily sensation. So we're kind of bringing our worlds in. The way you're going to notice this bodily sensation is you're going to find the sensation in your body. You're going to locate it, and then you're going to describe it. And I want you to stay away from metaphor with this. You want to use things that really help you communicate the physical sensation, like temperature, like direction. And you can use the phrase, I notice. So an example is, I notice a pulsing. I notice a warm pulsing sensation. Under, on the underside of my right upper arm. I'm going to do at least three. I notice a tightening pulse behind my left shoulder on the way to my clavicle. I notice that it's hot 
and it's the pulse is radiating a bit. And notice there's a density at the top of my head. It is as a tightening, a tightening muscular sensation, and it's kind of cool. Right? So when I come into my own body in that way, I begin to be able to anchor my own experience to fully experience what it's like to be in my body in that moment. And that's going to be the template that I use to start to look for desire, to start to look for, oh, what might be the thing that I want or desire or need from this moment? I'm going to move us along into noticing feeling. So noticing emotion, and I want you to really try to get into emotion rather than thinking. If you're with a partner, your eyes are still open and you're still facing that partner, and you're going to um, do a kind of mirroring exercise that begins with, I feel, I feel nervous. And your partner is going to say, hearing that, I feel curious. And then you'll just keep saying, hearing that, I feel. You're bouncing back and forth. Or if you're doing the exercise on your own, you're in, you're in a bit of a loop. I feel flushed. Hearing that, I feel excited. Hearing that, I feel fluttery. Hearing that, I feel joyful. Hearing that, I feel calm. Hearing that, I feel curious. Hearing that, I feel playful. I'm also just learning the span of my emotions. And if I am with a partner, I'm also learning how someone else is is affecting me. If you did do this with a partner, when the interview ends, I encourage you to take a few minutes to debrief and have each partner share what that experience was like, both giving and receiving. Give you a few seconds to wrap up your activity. And these are things you can always return to. For me, I have an experience of feeling very differently situated in my body, having a very different relationship to how I'm paying attention than I did before I did those exercises. You know, a lot of the things that we're talking about are quite heady, and I find it really important to have practices that actually make it a real experience for you as a person. You know, we don't live in the zone of political commentary where we're forming opinions from a distance. This is actually about attending to the details of our very personal and very unique lives to see what patterns have we grown accustomed to, how are we feeling, What are we wanting our relationship to action to be? What are we, how are we learning about our relationship to both position and disposition when we take away some of the expectations of what we should think, be thinking about and how we should be relating? I think it's so interesting that your voice, you know, you're so in your feminine right now and It took me into my feminine. It took me into that place of being very, very aware of my body and my sensations in my body and completely, I would say completely out of my head, which as you mentioned is where we spent really the first two segments. Absolutely. And it really helps us to be able to listen to each other. You know, if the the masculine is 
really craving um, mastery and the feminine is really craving connection. These are places where we come together and we both get what we're looking for. We actually both get to kind of scratch that deep itch by just paying attention to one another, by just paying attention to ourselves. You know, a man who's doing this exercise alone gets to understand something of what is that experience of total feminine presence like? And as I said earlier about the orgasmic meditation, both the man and the woman, and here I'm using, you know, um, gender definitions that, again, are not significant, but both people really benefit from this experience. Often the masculine side of people benefit from experiencing the feminine side. And the feminine side feels so nurtured by being able to feel seen in front of the masculine side. Absolutely. I've never seen a practice that so fully embodies a relationship between the masculine and the feminine. You know, the masculine is providing space, is providing structure, is providing safety for an experience. Um, the feminine is really connected to deepest surrender and receptivity. And we're also at the same time demonstrating that the power isn't with one or the other of them. The power is actually shared. This is the quintessential experience of complementarity because the masculine position, the stroker, is listening. It doesn't work if he's not listening to his partner. It doesn't work if, if they're not listening to their partner. And so there's a real understanding of the, the interdependence of these, of these positions. And it would be interesting after having completed the exercise to go back and, and see the other partner from the bodily sensation perspective, the second part noticing what's different about the other after they have gone through this, which it's significant. The tra you know, just this, the tone of your voice, as I said, was significantly different. And I can sense that physically I feel completely different, that if someone were to look at me at this moment in time versus from segment one or segment two, they would see something completely different in me. Absolutely. You know, when we do that in the practice, we talk about that as the orgasm mask, but it really is dropping into the body, dropping into sensation. And from that path, we then can lead into dropping into desire. Okay, I know where my sensation is. Now I know what I want to follow. And then I can follow that actually into the world where I'm not just leading from my brain, right? Where I'm not leading from a sense of deprivation, but I'm leading from really embodiment. And that embodiment is a kind of empowerment. And then I just have to turn on my communication and then I can begin to connect with other people from this place. We also, we started from talking about orgasmic meditation, but this work is transitions to the work environment. It doesn't have to have a sexual connotation to it to actually be very aware and present for another person. Absolutely. I mean, all of what we've been talking about really begins with noticing oneself and noticing others. And it's a really lost art. How do we do that? And how do I connect? You know, when I'm working with men, one of the big questions is how do I connect this feeling in myself to the contribution that I want to make? And when you can link all of those things together, it is really a very powerful fluidity. It's a very powerful momentum. So let's talk about how people can go deeper into this work, how they can learn more about themselves and their partner? Mm. Well, I think, you know, like I, like I said, one of the things we really need and like you, you demonstrated and, and noticed is we really need practices. 
I think we, we in general have very good intentions and without practices, it's hard to shift behaviors without support. It's hard to shift behaviors. It's hard to get deeper insight into oneself. And so I'm really an advocate of practice based learning, which is one of the reasons I teach a practices like orgasmic meditation. I also work with men to get in touch with the connection between that passion and desire and purpose and leadership in ongoing group coaching sessions. And I am currently enrolling the next group of infinite men for a group session that does work between personal coaching, community conversations, um, thematic conversations. And, uh, yeah. Is this play, does this work take place online or is it take place in person? Where does it, where is this happening? It's a six month virtual program. Hmm. So it's all online. It's in conversation with the other men who are in the program who are doing this work as well. It's one-on-one coaching with me. So how can people enroll? Oh, absolutely. You just go to infinitemancoaching.com and there is a way to connect with me there. And when does this start? We have programs that are ongoing. So right now we are enrolling for a program that will start within the next few weeks, probably at the beginning of the year. But you should, if it, if the program appeals to you, you should just reach out and let me know. And I can get you more information about when things are getting started. Well, I want to thank you, Kianga, so much for spending this time with us today. And as we started the segment out, this is um, this is a conversation that's ongoing. Uh, as you just mentioned, we need practices to really learn how to connect in meaningful ways and how to express both our masculine and feminine sides. And I'm deeply grateful for everything that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much for having me. We have just spent the last hour with Kianga Ford orgasmic meditation expert and founder of Infinite Man Coaching. For more information on Kianga and her work, go to www.infinitemancoaching.com, find her on my page on TalkZone, or at www.imaginaconsulting.com. Until next week, step into the world, embracing and balancing your masculine and feminine. <laughs>